obviously it's a little chilly tonight. We're gonna have some competition here at the bouncy house, so I'll try to talk fast and get us through this. But let me open with prayer and then we'll get into it. Lord, thanks a lot for today. Thank you for uh, just the opportunity to be here. We know that we're blessed. We live in a free country. We have the opportunity to come out here and do this uh, racing series, but we want to put you first. And so would you just meet us tonight? Give me the words to say. Give us the hearts and the ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So just uh, just out of curiosity, and I don't do this often, but I'm just asking, how many country music fans do we have here? We got anybody that listens to country? Now I'm talking about real country music, not Keith Urban or Taylor Swift. Okay, real country. All right, I live I live in Chatt near Chattanooga, and we've got a local radio station, WUQ, that plays real country. Randy Travis, Alan Jackson, Dolly, Waylon, Willie, and Trevor, my 13-year-old son, He's always like, why do you listen to that old tiny country music station? But one day, a song came on the radio, Ring of Fire came on the radio, and Trevor said, oh, hey, this is Donny Cash. I'm like, I'm winning as a parent here. He recognizes this. I'm doing something right. Now, for those of you that listen to real country music, you remember, you remember the name Ray Stevens? He didn't really have a whole lot of hits, but 1984, Mississippi Squirrel Revival. If you haven't heard this song, you have to YouTube it when you go home. Mississippi Squirrel Revival, Ray Stevens. He sings this song. It's a funny, it's a hilarious song. Sings about a little boy that goes to church, passing the little Mississippi. He caught a squirrel, takes it to church with him, and the squirrel gets loose. And because this squirrel is running around and running into people's overalls and upper dresses, they're jumping up and down and running around, and there's a revival that breaks loose. Obviously, there's a mistaken identity between the Holy Spirit and a squirrel. But revival breaks out nonetheless. It's funny. And the reason it's funny is because most of the time when we go to church, we're bored stiff. There's the story of the old uh, country preacher that goes to his board of trustees, his deacon board. He says, guys, I need a raise. And the, the, the head trustee says, Pastor, we're not giving you a raise. He says, but I need a raise. I'm, not, I'm just a poor country preacher. And they say, we know. We hear you every Sunday. And so when we think of church, a lot of times we're like, oh yeah, that poor preacher. We know what he's talking about because, you know, it can be boring. It can also be exciting. It can be life-changing. It can be transforming. We've been doing this amazing series this year through the ages and through the pages, through the Bible, in 13 different rounds. And we're going from Genesis to Revelation. And we've learned about God making a promise at the very beginning of time, how he created us in his image and desired to have a relationship with us, the pinnacle of his creation. But sin got in the way, and God has had a plan from the very beginning to deal with the problem of sin and to bring us back into right standing with himself. And so last week, we were able to march our way into the New Testament, but we got to when Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin so that we could once again have right standing with God, our Creator. This week, we're going to get into the church. And I don't think we need a Mississippi school revival because this stuff is actually really interesting. So as we go through the ages, through the pages, here's where we are this week. I'm going to have to back up the story just a little bit. We're going to go back into the, into the time before Jesus was crucified. We're going to go back to where he was standing around a campfire with just his disciples. And this is in Matthew chapter 16. And uh, he asked his disciples, he says, Who do people say that I am? And his disciples answered, they said, well, there's a lot of different opinions about you. Some people say that you're John the Baptist reincarnated, or maybe you're Elijah, or maybe you're Jeremiah, or maybe one of the prophets, and Jesus interrupts them and he says, okay, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter, 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the part where Jesus changes Peter's name to Peter. His name is Simon, but Jesus, at this moment, around this campfire, when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus says, I say your name now is Peter, which means rock. Your name is now rock. On this rock, I will build my church. Gates of hell will not prevail. I'm going to do something through you that even Satan himself can't stop. When you read through the Gospels, it's interesting to pay attention to what Jesus, how Jesus refers to Peter. We know him as Peter because we know the rest of the story. We know Peter the Apostle that wrote two of the books in the New Testament. We call him Peter. He's actually, as John wrote his Gospel, he didn't know what to call him Simon or Peter. He calls him Simon Peter all the time. But pay attention to the Gospels. When Jesus talks to, to Peter, if he's talking to Peter, the guy who's impetuous and runs off at the mouth and doesn't understand what, what Jesus is doing, he calls him by his earthly name, Simon. Like, you're thinking with your earthly brain here, Simon. It's kind of a reminder. When Peter says something that's good or Jesus wants to remind him of, hey, I renamed you the rock, Jesus calls him Peter. So, for example, on the last night that Jesus is on this earth, he's at that, that last supper, and uh, the disciples are having this earthly discussion and Jesus pulls Peter aside, but he didn't say Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Simon. Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. This is in context of that last supper. Jesus is about to be crucified. He's told his disciples that he's going to be crucified. They don't listen to him. They don't believe him. They don't understand him. And so they're having this discussion among themselves, and Jesus singles Peter out. He says, Simon, Simon. Satan is asked to have his way with you tonight, but I pray for you that your faith will not fail. And Peter responds to him and says, what are you talking about? I don't need prayer. Matter of fact, I would never leave you. I wouldn't deny who you are. Everybody might run from you. I would never run. And Jesus, Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you even know me. Which is kind of just a, ouch. You know, like, man, you know, Jesus, I'm really telling you my heart here. I love you, man. I would go to bat for you. I would die for you. And you're like, I'm going to deny you three times. That's just not going to happen. Peter totally misses it here. But you're familiar with the story, I'm sure, where, uh, where, where Jesus leads his disciples out. And they're going out through the garden, and, and uh, Jesus gets arrested. And Peter, with this conversation ringing in his head, He's like, oh no, I'm not denying this guy. Pulls his sword out and takes a swipe at the first person he sees. Of course, the guy ducks and Peter cuts off a slice of his ear. And Jesus says, put your sword away. He says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink of the cup the Father has given me? Like, this is what I'm here to do, Peter. You're, just, you're so hard-headed. You won't listen. Has to pick the guy's ear up, put it back on and heal him, and then gets himself arrested. Peter, from this point, he goes on and he follows Jesus at a distance. I'm not leaving this guy. I'm following him. But he completely is heartbroken, misunderstands. You remember this story. He's in the courtyard. Servant girl comes up to him and says, Hey, weren't you with Jesus? He's like, No, that wasn't me. 
a little while later, I'm pretty sure that was you with Jesus. Uh-uh. Not me, you're thinking somebody else. A third time, hey, you're from Galilee. You've got that really weird dick accent. You were with Jesus, weren't you? I swear I don't know the man. Cock-a-doodle-doo. He hears the rooster crowing in the background. He remembers the words that Jesus said before the rooster crows. You'll have denied me three times. And Peter runs out and he weeps bitterly. Like, man, I thought I loved this guy. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I, I know, failed miserably. You know, I'm telling us all the time. Uh, it's a reminder to me as well as to you. You were created on purpose and for a purpose. God has a plan for your life. Oftentimes, I lean into that. Like, I'm so excited that God has a plan and He knows what He's doing in my life because I don't know what He's doing, but man, I'm, I'm on for the ride. But when God doesn't meet my expectations, when God doesn't do what I think He ought to do, when God doesn't answer my prayers, that's when I start to fail. That's when I have those thoughts, just like Peter. Like, okay, God, if you're not going to do it, maybe I'll do it my way. You see, Jesus, in Peter's mind, Jesus wasn't supposed to be arrested. He wasn't supposed to die. He wasn't supposed to do any of that. Jesus was actually supposed to conquer Rome. Jesus is supposed to rise up and have this insurrection and go and march on Rome so that Israel could, could be free once again. <laughs> and then when Jesus did that, he was going to put his 12 disciples in positions of authority. As a matter of fact, that's what they were arguing about when Jesus singled Peter out and said, Simon, Simon, come over here. They were arguing about who was going to be governor, lieutenant governor, mayor. They were arguing over the pecking order of where they were going to stand when Jesus conquered Rome. And then Jesus didn't do that. Jesus gets arrested. Worse than Jesus getting arrested, Jesus let himself get arrested. Totally, totally not what he was supposed to do. It's when God doesn't meet our expectations that we let our guard down. For me, that's when I throw the pity party and I say, alright God, you're not going to handle this. I'll do it my way. I'll take care of it. <laughs> and that's where Peter was. And that's why he failed. He was disillusioned and disappointed with God. Took matters into his own hands. Completely failed. Utterly miserable. The rooster crows. Peter runs out. He remembers and he runs out. Jesus, he goes off. He marches off to Golgotha. He gets nailed to the cross. He dies. And in Peter's mind, that's the end of the story. Now, fortunately, we're here. We know that that's not the end of the story. But in Peter's mind, can you put yourself in his position right there? I mean, here's a guy on purpose for a purpose. Peter, I'm renaming you Rock because I have a plan for your life. Denies this guy. The guy dies. And now it's Saturday. Can you imagine how dark and how long Saturday must have been for Peter? <laughs> Even though we know Jesus, he told repeatedly over and over, I'm going to die. He even said on the third day I'm going to rise again. But... Uh, but for three years, Peter has followed this guy. He's heard him say these things in one ear, out the other ear. Denies him. Saturday is a long, long day, but then there's Sunday. And I love, I love this part of the story. What I love most about the resurrection story of Jesus is the part where his disciples and his closest followers don't expect that he's going to be alive. It's so cool because they've been with him. They've been hearing all these stories, but they're like you and me. We know exactly what happens to dead people. They stay dead, right? I mean, that's what's going to happen. Jesus, he's dead. 
The story's over. I denied him three times that I even knew him. And now he's dead. I can't even say that I'm sorry. Saturday's miserable. Sunday morning comes. The women, all four of the Gospels say that there was women that go to the, to the, uh, to the grave. Uh, Mark's account, they said that they have to re-anoint the body of Jesus because when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea used 75 pounds of ointment, apparently they did it wrong, so the women are going to do it right. On their way there, they're talking about how are we going to get that big stone moved away from the tomb? And here's how Mark puts it. They're talking, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back and it was, very, it was a very large stone and entering the tomb. They saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed because they saw an angel there. And the angel said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I love this because Jesus' closest followers, his disciples, the people that followed him for years in his ministry, hearing him say, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again, none of them expected him to be risen on the third day. As Andy Stanley says, Nobody expected nobody. They go there, and there's nobody, and nobody expected it to be empty. And they get there, and the angel says, don't be afraid. He's risen, just like he said. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he'll meet you in Galilee. The women, there they go, they tell the men. The men don't believe the women. They run, they find the tomb empty. They're like, man, what do we do now? They go to Galilee. So that's where Jesus is going to meet them. We're going to pick up the story in John chapter 21. John writes down that as they get to Galilee, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And there's nothing wrong with going fishing. There's nothing wrong with Peter in this moment. He's just like you and me. I can't hardly stand to just sit around waiting on something to happen. If we're going to sit around here, I might as well sit in the boat and we'll go fishing. So Peter says, let's go fishing six other disciples say, okay, I'll go fishing with you. They go all night. They're fishing all night long. They don't catch anything. And they let their nets down. Nothing swims in the nets. They put the catfish bait on. Nothing. They put the cam light in the water. No fish. Nowhere. Nothing biting. Nothing deep. Finally about dawn. They're not too far off from the shore. They're able to look off to the shore and they see a lone person on the shore. And the universal greeting of fishermen all over the world through all time is how the fish bite. And Peter and the disciples say, they ain't. And so the guy on the shore says, well, throw your net on the other side of the boat. They're like, yeah, whatever. Who is this guy? We've been fishing all that man. Let's just do it, man. If he's in, maybe he'll shut up and throw the net over here. So they throw the net over. And they catch so many fish, it's so heavy, they can't even haul it in. And John looks at Peter and says, it is the Lord. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore because it's Jesus. He really is alive. And of course, they, they all get into shore. They get this great big pile of fish. Jesus already has some fire going. They, 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 they make some fish for breakfast. I don't know how bluegill tastes first thing in the morning. Apparently pretty good. They eat this fish. And then Jesus pulls Peter to the side. Man, we had this conversation. Simon, Simon, Satan does desire for you. But I pray for you that you're faithful enough. We need to continue that conversation. So Jesus, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, earthly name. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, be my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said, follow me. Follow me. Amazing. This little paragraph right here in John chapter 21 is so rich with meaning. Because you've got to think back. We didn't talk about this, but if you read the Gospels, maybe you'll catch it, you'll pick up on it here. When Jesus first called Peter to be a disciple, Peter was fishing. He'd been fishing all night long, hadn't caught a thing. He comes into the shore, he's mending his nets, this dynamic, charismatic preacher guy is out there, and the crowd is just pushing in on him, and Jesus says, hey, hey, can I get in your boat? Push it off just a little bit so that I can broadcast my voice and all these people can hear me. Jesus delivers his sermon, and then he says to Peter, he's like, you want to go fishing? And Peter's like, I fished all night, I didn't catch anything. Ain't nothing biting out there. But if you want to go fishing, we can go fishing. Pushes off, lets his net down. The fish pull him in so heavy that the nets begin to tear, begins to sink the boat. He's got to get his partner in there. They fill up both boats full of fish. And then Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And Peter chose to follow Jesus. Left his fishing business. Most successful day he had in the entire history of his business. He left it to follow Jesus. There's that campfire story. Hey, I'm naming you Rock because I've got a plan for you. And now we come up to the very end here. And Jesus pulls him aside. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He wasn't talking about do you love me more than these other disciples love me. He's pointing at that big old pile of fish that Peter just hauled in. Do you love me more than these? The material success and wealth that you could have if you didn't follow me. Yes, Lord, I love you. Be my sheep. There's a game plan, and it's still on. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? I get it. I get it. Three times, you, I denied you. Three times you're asking if I love you. You know me. You know my heart. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep because the game plan is still on. When I named you the rock, I knew exactly what I was doing. Game plan is still on. Now follow me. Acts chapter 1, we'll fast forward the story here. The disciples are all gathered together in Jerusalem. They've left Gittite. Uh, Galilee. They've come south down to Jerusalem now. It's coming up on the Festival of Harvest, uh, the Feast of Weeks, or otherwise known as um, uh, Pentecost. It's about 50 days since Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, about seven weeks later or so. And they're down there in Jerusalem, and Jesus, for the last 40 days, has been appearing to them off and on. At this moment in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is there in the midst of them. And this, is, this is actually hilarious. Because as, he, as they are gathered there, they ask him, they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, okay, we really didn't see it that you were going to die and rise again. I know you told us so many times. But we didn't see that happening. But now that you're here and you're alive, like, are you now going to conquer Rome? And Jesus is like, ah, that's not really why I came. But we'll just move on beyond that. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 
when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come again the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So quit standing around. You got work to do. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as if by fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. Oh no, this is a weird speaking in tongues thing. Hey, this is the Holy Spirit at work. He gave them the ability to speak in other tongues. And we know by reading the text, we find out that there's people from all over the known world at the time that have come and gathered together in Jerusalem. They all speak different languages. And now all of a sudden, these guys from Galilee start coming out and they're speaking their language, these other tongues, other languages is what we're talking about here. And the people are mystified. I mean, they're from all over. Mesopotamia, Judea, Egypt, Libya, Rome. They're from all over. And they're like, wait a second. These guys are speaking my language. I can understand them. But I recognize that guy. He's one of the hillbillies from Galilee. How does he speak my language? They must be drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Professional drunks aren't even drunk yet. These people are drunk. This is actually a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. God prophesied this through his prophet Joel, and you guys get to see this with your own eyes. This is an amazing moment for you, Peter goes on. And he goes and he, and he charges them. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, because you saw him. This Jesus. Delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and you killed him, but God raised him up. And Peter preached with such boldness and such confidence that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So those who received his words were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people that day. Peter stands up of all people. Peter stands up and preaches about Jesus who you saw do all these signs and miracles in your midst. And then he was crucified. You killed him. But God raised him up. This Peter preached that message. 3,000 people accepted Jesus that day. And you know what happened in that moment? The church was born. When they stood around that campfire and Jesus said, Hey, I need you, Peter. The rock. On this rock, I will build my church. Peter had no idea what Jesus was talking about. There was no church. They had synagogues and temples. The pagans had temples. Nobody had a church. A gathering together. What is that all about? Whatever. In one ear, out the other ear. My name is Peter the Rock. This moment right here. God had a plan. He had a purpose. We've seen it. We've seen it all season long that God had a plan and a purpose. Sin was the problem. God comes and says, I have a promise. I'm going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel. 
Genesis chapter 12 comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to do a thing, an amazing thing through you. He use you to do it. You're going to be a father of a great nation. Lots of people, lots of land. The whole world is going to be blessed through you. And all this Old Testament is the story of God protecting that promise. That promise always in peril. And God rescues it through guys like Joseph. And then through Moses. And then it's, de it's delivered through Joshua. And then unwilling participants like Samson don't even want to be part of God's plan. And God uses them to protect his promise that he made not just to Abraham, but to all of us that are gathered here today. And this story marches forward. It goes through 400 years of silence in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where there's no message, there's no prophecy, there's no nothing from God. And yet God's behind the scenes and he's setting the stage and he's, a, he's arranging a language and he's building roads so that the gospel can go forth. And Peter, on this day of Pentecost, preaches a message and the church is born. As you read through the book of Acts, and I challenge you to do this on your own, read through the book of Acts, you're going to find out the amazing stories of how that early church started to flourish. You'll find out that it was immediately met with persecution. There's no way that a dead man came back to life. One of the most ardent detractors was a guy named Saul. Saul was like, this is a hoax. There's no way that this happened. Jesus was not the Son of God, and I will put you in prison or even kill you if you say otherwise. Saul is on his way to Damascus, and he meets the risen Jesus on that road. And Saul, who we know as Paul, became the greatest supporter and the biggest church planner that the world has ever seen all around the Mediterranean basin, going to places like Philippi and Colossae and Ephesus and Corinth. And he's setting up churches and he's sharing the good news of the gospel. And the gospel takes off like wildfire. And he writes these letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. He writes these letters to those early churches. And from those letters today, we can learn how God wants us to live our lives and how we can know that we have assurance of salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul gets to be a part of that. Acts chapter 11, there's a really cool little tiny short verse that you just skip right over. And I think it's verse 16. And they were first called Christians in Antioch. Didn't even know what to call them on this day of Pentecost when Peter preaches and 3,000 people come to know Jesus as their Savior. They don't know what to call them. Are these followers of Christ or no? It's the way. That's what they call it, the way. Why? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are followers of the way. Finally, in Antioch, they're called Christians. Why were they in Antioch? A couple verses before that, it explains because of the persecution of the church. Jesus, his last words, you will be my witnesses in Judea and Jerusalem and Samaria and all of the world. You would never think that persecution would be a part of God's plan. But James understood it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, when he wrote the letter that, that's named after him, James chapter 1, greetings to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad because of the dispersion. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. It was that persecution that drove the Christians out of Jerusalem and took the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth took the message of the gospel to us here on GNCC even today. You see, I'm so fired up about this. I'm so excited about this because God's plan and His purpose has been the same since the very beginning of time. He desires to have relationship with the pinnacle of His creation, which is you and me. And He went to extremes to make that happen. And you can read all about it 
in this right here, God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, I have plenty of them. I would love to give it to you. Come see me after the end. I'm going to pray for you right now. God, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for preserving it through the ages. Thank you that we're able to even read it today and recognize that, wow, you are an amazing God. You love us so much. You had a plan from the very beginning. You've changed all of eternity in order to rescue us. I pray, Lord, for those that may not have made Jesus Christ the Lord of their life yet. I pray that today will be the day. There's nothing like it. I love you. Privileged to be your servant here on this series. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for hanging out with me. If you need a Bible, we've got plenty. Love to give you one. Otherwise, have a great race, and I will see you at Iron Man for the conclusion of Through the Ages and the Pages. Thanks a lot.